to organize your amazing ideas into a powerful book? It's time to write your book. Welcome to the Write Hour, nonfiction tips from the right coach with Joyce Glass, where you can learn the business and craft of writing. Welcome to episode 605 of the Write Hour. Today, my mentor Stephen James and I are going to share a fiction technique called causality and how it'll improve your nonfiction writing. Stephen James is the critically acclaimed author of 17 novels. He has served as a contributing editor to Writer's Digest magazine and is the author of the groundbreaking book Story Trump Structure, as well as the guidebook used by thousands of novelists troubleshooting your novel, both from Writer's Digest books. Publishers Weekly calls him a master storyteller at the peak of his game. When he's not working on his novel, Stephen teaches novel writing intensive retreats across the country with New York Times bestselling author Robert Degani. And I had the privilege to go this year in March to their novel intensive, and it was fabulous. So if you're ever working on a novel, make sure that you check out their novel writing intensive. It will truly help you. And today, learning this fiction technique will also improve your writing and your storytelling. So enjoy and take notes. Hello and welcome to episode 605 of the Write Hour. Hope you are doing, having a great day. And today I'm excited to have Stephen James with me. He is a author that I have come to know very well and went to his conference back in March and learned a lot with, from him and Robert Degani. So today, I have Stephen. And Stephen, tell me a little bit about your journey to becoming a writer. All right, great. You know, um, I grew up loving storytelling. My uncle would always tell me stories when I was a little kid. He would get the kids together into a corner of the room, and he would kind of get this look in his eye, and he would say, I'm going to tell you a story. And he would launch into a a story, that uh, campfire story or something, and and I just fell in love with uh, stories and storytelling. And then I started reading like crazy. And eventually I started to tell stories to myself orally, you know, and I thought I kind of want to do this for a living. And that was in college. And eventually, as I started to travel and uh, tell stories, I eventually had uh, three little daughters <laughs> and I didn't want to be gone 300 days a year. So I thought, well, I want to still tell stories. What's the best way to do that would be to write them. And so back in the mid nineties, I started to write more and eventually started writing novels in the about 2005 or six. And uh, so that's mainly what I do these days. Yeah. Awesome. Although my kids are grown, by now, quite grown by now. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how that happens really fast. So did your uncle tell you stories with snakes in them? Uh, yes. Um, and so if you don't know the history, I, I love telling snake stories and, um, apparently our guest or, or excuse me, our host is not such a fan of snakes. No, I am not. <laughs> and I read the first book I read of his, it starts off with a story with snakes and this guy getting, was it? Yeah. He was killed by a bunch of snakes in a coffin. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're killing me. <laughs> I think that was. I was probably Singularity. Yes, it is. Starts with a magician going to do an escape, uh, and he's underground in a coffin, and someone ends up sending s baby snakes down. I think baby cobras or something. I can't yeah. remember which kind, but anyway, 
down into his like um, air tube. So as he's trying to suck in the air, he sucks in the baby cobras. And yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. But, well, you'll love this. My husband showed me a video last night of somebody was lifting up a storage shed. And underneath, there were like a nest of rattlesnakes. And it was just probably like 50 of them just wow. dangling and hanging from the shed. I was like, Whoa, why are you showing me this? <laughs> That's funny. Um, so, yeah, no, I do not like snakes. <laughs> well, uh, when did you know for sure that you really wanted to write? That it Did it kind of hit you all at once or did it just kind of evolve? Well, for me, the writing journey sort of evolved over time. You know, I, um, I started writing nonfiction and magazine articles. That's how I got started and eventually moved into writing novels. Um, but, it, but, um, before I ever wrote a novel, I'd written about maybe, you know, 20 nonfiction books. And mm-hmm. so that was the journey. And, and for me, I really feel like the principles of storytelling work well, whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction. And so, um, yeah. I don't know that there was a day where I said, from now on, I only want to write novels because I still dabble with nonfiction books. Right. I've written a couple on the craft of writing, but um, but for the most part these days, it's telling big stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you do that well, which leads us into the next question. Tell us about your new novel releasing in October. You said October 8th? Yes, October 8th. It's called Synapse, and it's a near-future thriller. It's the first near future thriller that I've written near future. Some people would say science fiction, but it's not like spaceships and, and uh, aliens and stuff because it just takes place 30 years in the future mm-hmm. when machines that is like uh, cognizant robots have free will consciousness and self-awareness. And so my question was not so much artificial intelligence, like what can a machine know, but artificial belief. And that is what, when machines have free will, what will they choose to believe? And so there's, it's a terrorism story. And, and um, so it has sort of these existential questions um, woven throughout it. But at its core, it's really the story of a young woman who is um, trying to find hope again. Uh, and um, amidst the, some terrorist activity in the 30 years from the future and uh and she ends up with a robot who's asking questions that machines were never intended to ask. Oh, wow. That does sound interesting. Um, I hope it's a lot better than Wally. <laughs> That's what came to mind. <laughs> you said my, when my son was younger, that movie came out. I was like, I wanted to leave. If it hadn't been for him, I would have loved it after the first probably 20 minutes because that was the most boring movie I had ever seen from Disney. I was like, what in the world is this? So please tell me it's much better than Wally. I think it's more action packed than Wally. Good. <laughs> and people do talk in the in my book. So and they say something besides Wally. Yes. <laughs> so well what I'm teaching uh, in on the podcast and I've got something that I'm releasing soon called five fiction techniques, every nonfiction writer needs to use. And something that I love that you teach is causality. And that is a fiction technique that you teach in your book story, Trump structure. But can you tell us a little bit about it and then how it applies in nonfiction? Yeah. The idea is that everything in the story is caused by the thing that precedes it. 
sounds simple enough when you explain it that way, but a lot of people just aren't aware of the implications that it has to scenes and to writing in general. And so, for instance, you could say, she reached out with a trembling hand to lock the door. The killer was on the other side. You could write that, but you probably wouldn't want to write that because her reaching out with a trembling hand is not what causes the killer to be on the other side. So instead you would write, the killer was on the other side of the door. With a trembling hand, she reached out to lock it. There's a difference between them, one, in the first case, you're telling us something, then explaining why it happened. She reached out with a trembling hand to lock the door. Why? Oh, the killer was on the other side. In the second instance, though, you're not explaining. You're moving forward from cause to effect. Mm-hmm. So when you say the killer was on the other side of the door, so you, you don't have to write so, but so she reached out with a trembling hand to lock it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happens is if you find two sentences that can be combined with the word because, you can usually improve the writing by reversing the order so that they could be combined with the word so. Right. Um, and a lot of times what happens is if you're reading something and you're like, I don't quite get what just happened. I sort of understand it, but I'm not totally clear. Uh, it has to do with issues of, with um, causality, where the um, author has reversed the order of the story so that it's convoluted, and in that, it doesn't make it as believable. It mm-hmm. causes the reader to ask why, and a lot of times the causality is out of sync. All of that distances readers from the story, and it's the truth whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction. Right. You still want the story to move forward, cause to effect. Right, and that and that's something that writing fiction really helped my nonfiction become better and help my clients become better because I learned some of these techniques, and it's like that makes sense. So for all of you who don't know, I went. I said I went to the conference um, back in March that Stephen did for, it was novel intensive, and they critiqued. And one of his favorite words was causality. <laughs> I saw that, I don't know how many times, and I was like, okay, okay. And he had to explain it to me a couple of times before I kind of like, it's like, you know it, but then when you're writing it, it takes you a few minutes to like step back and go, Oh yeah. If you make, you move that over here, that sounds so much better and, and gives that tension that you want to. Cause even in nonfiction, if you're telling a story, there's, there's going to be some tension. You want that tension. So definitely. Um, and I love the example you use that really is, is helpful. Um, if you had to explain it, I guess, just a little more, because obviously it's one of these, it's simple, but it's not simple <laughs> to, to understand. Yeah, let me give you a couple of examples um, from some of my books on the craft of writing. Um, in my book, um, Troubleshooting Your Novel, which has principles of fiction writing that could be used for fiction or nonfiction. I'll give, I'll, let me just read this example, and then we'll talk through it, and then I can do another example from You'd mentioned my book, Story Trump Structure. So we can look at that as well. But um, So here's an example. Um, Suzanne stepped into the shower. She needed to relax. As the water washed over her, she thought of the time she nearly drowned when she was nine. She let the water rinse across her skin. Finally, 
shuddering, she hastily toweled herself off after turning off the faucet and tried not to think about the traumatic day at the lake. So you could write that in a true story or nonfiction story. You could write that, but you wouldn't want to because uh, as it stands, most of the events in the paragraph happen out of order. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes inexplicably, for instance, Suzanne remains in the shower instead of toweling off or leaving right away when the painful memory occurs. So instead of saying Suzanne stepped into the shower, she wanted to relax, you would reverse it. So you would write Suzanne needed to relax, so she stepped into the shower. Mm -hmm. And you're moving from cause to effect, from stimulus to response. Right. The water rinse over her, but it made her think of the time she nearly drowned when she was nine. So what does that cause her to do? Causes her to shudder. Shuddering, she turned off the faucet and hastily toweled off trying not to think about that traumatic day at the lake. So there's a big difference between the first example and then reordering it in the second so that you're moving. Some people would say it's showing versus telling. In the the first instance, you're telling us something, then explaining it. Telling us, then explaining. Mm -hmm. That's not the way to move a story forward. In the second instance, you're telling us something that causes the next thing to occur. Right. Yeah. And that's a good way to put it is that you, you tell something that, and then you tell the effect of that, that gives that cause and effect that you're looking for, which makes the story more interesting. Plus things like you said, then are in actual order because you don't shudder about something and then think about it. <laughs> you think about it and then you shudder about it, you know, yeah, so. the shuddering is, is going to cause her to leave the shower, you know, as quickly as she can, instead of standing there, just soap, you know, adding more soap and, and water and, and so on. So I know that it sounds a, maybe a, not nitpicky, but very particular when we go through it. But when you're writing a story, you really want the story to move forward. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be caught writing something and then moving backward in time to explain it. And so it's definitely a fiction technique that you can use for all of your writing. Anytime that you're telling a story, you want it to move forward, cause to effect, Mm -hmm. rather than backwards, effect to cause. Right. So you don't want to say, this happened, but then this is why it happened. If you can avoid that, it's usually best because um, you want to ask yourself, do you want the reader to ask why? And if you don't uh, want the reader to ask why, then you want to reverse the order. If there are some cases where you might be like, well, Steve, you know, what about um, as a hook? Or if there's a detective story and the detective is analyzing things and we don't know exactly why. There are some examples like that, some exceptions. that I Totally, I understand exactly where people are coming from. But as a general rule, let's just, you know, focus today on this idea of, how to move from cause to effect. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, we have mentioned both of your books. Oh, you have one more example. Tell us the other. Oh, yeah. Well, um, we can look at another example, you know, from Story Trump's structure. Um, So I'll read this one, and, and then we'll kind of look at it one more time. So Greg sat bored in the writer's workshop. He began to doodle. He'd heard all this stuff before. Suddenly, he gulped and stared around the room, embarrassed when the teacher called on him to explain cause and effect usage. So 
In this case, there are like maybe seven different things that occur and mm-hmm. none of them are in the right order in the paragraph that I just read. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's, let's take a look at it one more time. So it says, Greg sat bored in the writer's workshop. He began to doodle. He'd heard all this stuff before. Well, um, what are the events that happen that cause the next ones to happen? So, for instance, Greg sat in the writer's workshop. Then he'd heard all this stuff before. What does that cause him to do? Causes him to doodle. So Greg sat in the writer's workshop. He'd heard all this stuff before. He began to doodle. I don't even think you need to say that he was bored because you show that by him doodling. Right. Yeah. And then the teacher calls on him uh, to explain cause and effect usage. That causes him then to gulp and stare around the room. Mm-hmm. So you take a careful look and you ask, what causes this to happen? And is there a way that makes sense for me to move that cause to before the event that it causes? Yeah, I like that. I like that as a good way to do that. And so if you are listening to this, listen to it a couple times, but is it okay if I put the Greg example in my show notes? Sure, yeah. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes because then they can go and read that and kind of get a good view. Of, I'll do those two little pair, three little paragraphs there that you did on 184, 185 in this book. And um, that'll be a good example to look at and really see what you're saying because it really does clearly state that. But, well, I love your book, Story Trump Structure. It's really helped me with my writing. But what I love is in the in the subtitle, it's called How to Write Unforgettable Fiction by Breaking the Rules. So how are you breaking the rules in writing with your Story Trump Structure? Well, a lot of people are quick to give rules uh, to writers. And uh, when you actually look at fiction, if you look at stories, you'll find that a lot of the quote rules are, are broken all the time mm-hmm. by great writers. So for instance, one of the, I guess you would say rules of writing is that the character must change. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you'll hear that in a story, a character must change. Um, but it's just simply not true. Uh, in some cases, the character is revealed. In some cases, the character is tested. And in some cases, the character might change. And so, for instance, when we come to a series character like Sherlock Holmes or James Bond or my character Patrick Bowers in the um, thrillers that I've written, mm-hmm. they're not transformed into someone completely different by the end of the story. In fact, we don't come to those stories because the character is different, but because the character is what? He stays the same. Yeah. He's consistent, yeah. Yeah, he's consistent, and we want to see him revealed or, or tested. And so... It isn't about transforming characters necessarily. Now, in some cases, they they are, especially when the major problem is internal. It's like an internal struggle. Mm-hmm. But um, but uh, that's just one example of you know a quote rule that's given. Another is the story should have three acts: the beginning, the middle, and the end. And I'm always I'm always curious whenever people kind of get they get this wise look and they say a story must have a beginning a middle and an end. And they say it so profoundly and people are like, Oh wow. A story must have be." I'm thinking like, like everything has a beginning, a middle and an end. And that doesn't make them stories like the, you know, the sentence preheat the oven to 350 degrees is not a story, but it certainly has a beginning, a middle and an end. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead, I feel like stories might have one act. We have one act stories. We have two act plays. We have four acts, three, five. Shakespeare wrote in five. So, so this whole idea that a story must have three acts is just ludicrous. It's just not true. Uh, right. And very often it's unhelpful to people. Um, and so, uh, so that's another quote rule. And, you know, a third is that uh, you should outline your books. Uh, and I feel like that's often one of the worst uh, steps that you can take as far as uncovering the story is to try and outline it before you write mm-hmm. instead of writing organically. So in, in uh, the book Story Trump Structure, I really take people through and show them the storytelling principles and what really works and not necessarily saying, you must do this, you have to do this, this is the rule. Instead, le- break the rules as much as you want as long as it improves the story. Right, right. And it's really it's really helped me with my story, which I need to get back to. Uh, <laughs> work has my client work has kept me from finishing my novel but what has helped me is knowing that what you teach in there you know about the orientation and the calling and all of that and helps get the story across and I what I did is a lot of exploring my story that revealed other dimensions to it so there's things that I didn't you know think of until I started asking my character questions. And when I started asking my characters questions, then I learned about her mom, her mom, who becomes another part, integral part of the story. And so it it became, it gave it depth and dimension when you do it that way. Then it's like you said, if you do the outline and if I had gone along with my original plan, it would have been very stilted. And very, uh, you know, it would have just left out a whole interesting part that brings this whole, oh, I didn't know that. And that's what I want. You know, I want them to get, you know, halfway through the book and go, that's her. (laughs) She did that. You know, I want that, that, that effect (laughs) on, on the, on the reader. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, there are lots of books out there that teach plot and structure and outlining. Um, and in fact, when I started writing story Trump structure, I started looking through them to see what advice they gave to people who don't do that, who don't outline. And literally in the thousands of pages of novel writing books that I had, there were three pages that talked about how to actually do it. And basically they were saying, you'll probably have to write more, um, because you'll have to rewrite more as you move forward. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. And so anyway, in story Trump structure, I actually take people through how to write without an outline mm-hmm. and how to ask the right questions to uncover right. the story. So, and, and it helps, yeah. it helps. Those questions really help as I go back through as I'm working on mine and I'll ask those questions and it, it helps give that interest to the story that I'm wanting. Cause I want mine to be suspense and I want, you know, people on the edge of their seat turning the page, they won't be having snakes drop at them, but <laughs> they might, you never know. <laughs> well, that's true. I might have a snake show up. <laughs> you never know. You never know, but I'm not planning on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, tell us a little bit about your writing time. Do you have a consistent time you like to write? Do you write daily? What's some things that's worked for you and maybe some things that didn't work for you that you tried? 
Well, I typically write in the mornings if possible, and then take care of other obligations in the afternoons, uh, whether it's publicity or podcasts or uh, email and so on. So I try to spend the mornings writing, uh, and uh, it depends a little bit on um, you know the other obligations that I have. I speak often at conferences and different events, workshops around the country, but. But um, I'm usually most productive if I get up early, chomp into it, and get moving in my story early. And then usually the afternoons, I take a break from the writing and try to come back to it again in the evening if possible. Mm -hmm. I don't try to go uh, by word count. I know some people try to write 1,000 words a day or 2,000 or more a day, and uh, I just don't find that as helpful because some days I actually delete scenes that (laughs) – that I might use, yeah. <laughs> and so then I end up with fewer words. So I just go by time. So I'll, I'll often set a certain time and say I'm going to try and write this number of hours today, and then keep track of it mm-hmm. in that way. Um, so and you know you're constantly yeah. moving forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's something that I um I offer people in what I call my freebie and is a writing planner. And I say, you know, you can keep up with workout or you can keep up with uh, time, whichever one works better for you. Cause some people do like time and some people, they really want that word count, you know? So that's, a, I think a personality thing too, but I like that. So um, did you ever have anything you tried that just, you know, this is not for me. This is not how writing works for me. Well, you know, uh, uh, one thing would be the word count deal is um, I started one time I thought, well, people teach us all the time. So maybe it's helpful. So I kept track one day and I was like, I wrote 6,000 words. And I was like, that's amazing. It took me 10 hours, but I was like, that's amazing. I wrote 6,000. So I was like calculating in my brain. That means I could be done with this book in like, you know, two or three weeks or whatever. <laughs> so the next day I went at it again and I wrote the same amount of time and I ended up with one word. Cause I changed some stuff and, and I was like, so depressed. I was like, I just spent 10 hours and I wrote one word. So I said, this is silly. I'm not going to use this process at all. So that didn't, that didn't work for me. Uh, but you know, I try to teach really focus on storytelling principles rather than practice. Like some people prefer that method. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a matter of choice. So I would rather spend most of the time at the seminars that I teach focusing on storytelling you know, principles, ways to actually tell stories well, rather than the personal approach that you have to coming at the story. Right, right. That works good. So what advice or encouragement do you have for new writers? And then maybe someone who's midway through the book, and I call it that messy middle where, you know, it's hard. You feel like you've done so much, but you're not done yet. And you think, am I ever going to get done? (laughs) Encouragement, would you have for those two different kinds of people? Yeah, I mean, um, if you approach things where you're trying to get like a thousand words or 2,000 words a day down, you're definitely going to come to a place where you're just not certain about the direction of the story and probably you'll you'll get frustrated in the middle. Um, And so I would say maybe change that approach. Um, As far as advice, never fall in love with your first draft. That's one word of advice. So many people will write something and then try to justify having written it in their own minds rather than use it only if it's vital to the story. Right. Second word of advice I would say is, you know, really print out what you're working on and don't try to just edit off from a computer screen. 
So about once a week, I'll print out my book and I'll start at the beginning going through it and really, in some cases, flipping through chapters if I already know that they're set. But I want to get in my mind where the reader is at when they come to the new stuff that I'm writing. So I'll ask myself the questions of what is the reader worrying about, wondering about, hoping for, expecting, or looking forward to. And so as I get to the new sections that I'm really working on editing or, or writing first drafts of, those are the questions that I'm really asking myself. And very often, if I don't print it out and I just look at the computer screen, I will think, oh, well, readers want this, whatever. But if I start at the beginning of the book and I flip through, I might come to scenes and I'll say, you know what? Readers really don't care about that dog right now. They're really more concerned about the girl who just got abducted. So forget mm-hmm. the dog for the next couple pages. You need to write a scene about the girl and that uh, she's okay or she's in danger or whatever it is. So I just think it's, it's, um, it's kind of silly when people are like, I don't want to print out my book. It's wasted paper. No, it's not wasted paper. It's whether <laughs> you're investing in the story. Uh, right. it, yeah, it's so silly. It's not be wasted paper if it's not a good story. <laughs> yeah, and like the whole reason of writing a book is so that it can be printed and published and sold. And so you wouldn't look at that as wasted paper. So don't look at uh, improving the story as wasted paper. So I just think that's silly. Yeah. Uh, I like that, um, especially about the first draft thing, because I my first draft of this novel that I'm working on, whole different idea. <laughs> it's like, it, and I, so I like that because it, the story has evolved, and you need to let your story evolve. And I've got a client that I work with that she's writing children's books, and she got really stuck on this idea she had for the second book and she wouldn't let go of it. And I kept telling her, this isn't a story. Our main character, everything's happening to him. He's not doing anything. Okay. Yeah. And and you got to have him do things. And it took her a while to let go of what she thought the story was going to be and move it to what what it does. And she finally, um, took some time and really worked on it after I, I mean, like we would meet a couple times and like, she really hadn't done that much. And I'm thinking, change it. <laughs> and, yeah. and she finally did. And it's so much better. So yeah. much better. Yeah, so that's just, great. yeah. Let, let it go. Do not hold on to it because there's a reason, you know, you've got to, what I call vomit it out there and just get it out. But then you got to work on it to make it better and what the story really needs to be. So I like that. Suggestions. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I've found over the years is uh, people today are much less willing to make revisions than they were even five or 10 years ago. Um, and it's because it's become so much easier to just self-publish. So people will write a story, edit it, go through two or three times and be like, I'm just going to self-publish it. I'm just going to send it out there, publish it to the world. Um, whereas really a lot of times our stories need to be edited quite a bit more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some times where I'll go through scenes dozens of times to make sure that it's really every word matters. Every word is supporting the story. It's the right word. Um, and that just takes time looking at the story. It doesn't come from just a quick write and a quick, you know, read through. Right. Um, and if yeah. you, and if you're learning the craft too, like I'm still learning the craft of fiction, 
I'm yeah. good with nonfiction, but I'm still learning the craft of fiction because there's a lot more elements and moving parts to it. And, you know, like you said, things you could do differently. Well, I could do it this way or I could do it this way. Neither was necessarily wrong, but one may be better than the other. And it takes time to learn that as well as it takes time to go through that. And, and like you said, edit it and make it really a, a positive and uh, good story, a strong story. So, Yeah, I mean, the temptation is there to just say, well, look, I can, all I have to do is press this button and I can publish my book. And, and so, yeah, a lot of times it's just that people publish too early mm-hmm. with, um, with this new paradigm. So I don't well, like I people publish. I, I cringe when they say, I didn't, I didn't hire an editor. I couldn't afford it. And I'm, I'm over here going, if that's the only thing you pay for, and if you have to wait till you have the money, that's the biggest thing you need to pay for. You got yeah, I knew, yeah. The new, um, the new sort of paradigm is for self-published authors is you don't buy it. If you only have a limited amount of money, you spend it on the cover art and not the editing. And, um, and that's just, it just, it's terrible, terrible. Yeah, It hurts you in so many ways. It hurts hurts all of us, you know, as as authors, uh, because people, the quality of work is, 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 is lower very often. So, right. So I'm not trying to come down on self-published um, authors. I don't really care if people publish through traditional publishers or self-published, but, but I feel like most of the time that self-published authors really publish way too early. Mm-hmm. Way too early. Yeah. So you need to quality, yeah. work on the quality and get help. And there are, are editors that help with fiction that will help you. And they do different kinds of editing. There's developmental editing and there's copy editing, everything. So there's different kinds of editing you can get and you need. Um, Cause with, well, in, I have not traditionally published yet, but soon tell me with the um, traditional publishers I had heard, is there six editors that typically go through it or they, it goes through six times of editing, something like that. Well, I mean, it really just varies on the author and the process with the editor that you're working with. I mean, yeah. but, um, but there are certainly different gatekeepers. There's your agent, there's the uh, editor, there's the acquisitions, maybe editor, the the publishing board, the pub board, so that, so that a, a project needs to go through a variety of places before it even gets written and, and, and edited. Mm-hmm. And then... Very often the editor, you'll write it and send it in. The editor might have notes that they send back to you and you might alter and change it. So so it really varies on the author. You know, some authors like that process of going back and forth. Yeah. I personally prefer to write the book as best as possible and then send it in right. instead of writing it m- mediocre and then allowing them to come back with all sorts of changes that they need. Right. So you do intense yeah. editing on your own. Yeah, I would rather do it on on my end, front end, the editing, so that when I send it in, it's basically ready to go and it can just be proofread. Right, right, where it, it's at that point, you um, it only may need a little tweak here or there kind of thing. So I like that. So each personality in person has got to figure out what works best for them because if you're not strong at editing, then you definitely need an editor. The more you write, you may get better at it. Um, but you still need some, some editing help. I always suggest, especially with the nonfiction world, but I thank you for being here. Is there anything else you wanted to share with us? 
And um, let's see. I could just let you know that I have a podcast of my own. In oh, which yeah. I, I um, interview different authors and storytellers and um, filmmakers. It's called The Story Blender, and it's at thestoryblender.com. People are welcome to tune in and listen. It's free, and and um, there are about 100 different um, episodes on there that people are welcome to um, listen to. It airs every, I think, every Friday or every other Friday. People can, can click in to hear a new interview there. Awesome. And, uh, you can get in touch with me at Reed Stephen James at Twitter. And then also the website is stephenjames.net. And people are welcome to um, check out my books there or send me a note through Twitter. And um, I look forward to hearing from them. Yes, you've got, and you've got some excellent books. And I'm looking forward to your new one. And um, what was I? oh, so thank you for that. And uh, if I will put that in the show notes, all of your links, so that everybody can just go there and click on them and check it out. So and the story blender sounds great. I listened to, I forget who you interviewed. There was somebody that I knew that you interviewed. Um, but anyways, it was good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure who it would have been, but, um, but we try to do a new one each week or two. So mm-hmm. those are available. All right. Well, thank you very much. And you have a good day. Thanks, Joyce. Thanks for having me on. listening to this episode of the right hour are you wondering how to start your writing journey but feel overwhelmed or confused after taking four years to write her first book joyce completely understands she created the four steps to the right book to help you clarify your focus create and organize your content and complete your book she shares tips on the writing process and you can download the writing planner to track your progress and create weekly and monthly milestones to complete your book. You can sign up for the short email series at therightcoach.biz. That's T-H-E-W-R-I-T-E-C-O-A-C-H dot B-I-Z. Or go to the link in the show notes for the podcasts. You can sign up on the side pop-out on the computer or on the phone it's a blue bar at the bottom that pops up. You can also go to the bottom of the homepage to sign up for the four steps to the right book. Don't let fear and overwhelm stop you from writing your book. It's time to write your book.